Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Word Processing. My name is Andrew, I'm one of the pastors at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. I'm joined with Josiah today. We're going to talk about God's Word, His people, and his covenant specifically today, Josiah. Let's do it. We are almost done the covenant series. We got one more. Yes, almost done. I mean, it feels like it's flown by in some ways for me. Maybe not sure. so much for you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it's tricky at times to be jumping all over the Bible in terms of your study rather than just in one book and understanding the context of one book instead of, well, five that we've done so far. Yeah, it feels like it's spread my mind a little thin. I don't for have the sure. greatest bandwidth already. And then it's kind of spread me thin. But uh, I mean, hopefully it's been edifying and encouraging and gives some foundational insights on how to approach the grand narrative of scripture and how it all fits together. But uh, I think that's been one of the best parts, not only learning about the covenants, but one thing that I think we've all been kind of absorbing as you've been teaching through this series is how to approach God's word better, Mm -hmm. especially Old Testament passages that we really can struggle with at times and knowing what to do with them as New Testament believers. I think that's been a really cool side benefit even as we talk about you know why does this covenant matter it's really been practical in terms of not applying this directly to me but how can i learn from it and still do something based on it so yeah to understand that it does apply to me Mm -hmm. but not just in any way i want it to and sometimes not in the most obvious way because we are generations and nations removed and time removed and all that kind of stuff we have to handle it rightly and i think i mentioned on sunday if there's nothing else we learn from this study and i hope there is more than this but if there's nothing else i hope is that we just understand that god means what he says Hmm. and we don't have to understand it for that to be true and so we want to take god at his word when it comes to all of these covenants and understand that they will come to pass the way he said and they're not going to be changed as we get into the new testament There is a trend today, a popular trend, as you well know, of people going to the New Testament, understanding the New Testament, because let's face it, that's where we probably spend most of our time as New Testament people of God, right? Um, But we we get so familiar with the New Testament that then we start going back to the Old Testament and changing things that God said. We read it in. Instead of reading the New Testament in light of the Old. Well, how can we do that if we don't know the Old? And so, again, just going back to that main principle, that God meant what he said when he said these things, and they have to come to pass because he put his skin in the game. It can't mean what it never meant, I think I've exactly. said before. Yes, that's right. And so hopefully, and we never have to, another thing that's very common today when we read the Bible is people spiritualize all the time. I know it says this, but what he really meant, and it gets some esoteric heavenly meaning, but we've been through now five covenants, and we've never once had to spiritualize. Yeah. Never once. And they actually fit together if we just let them say what they say. And that will be the same when we come to the New Covenant next week and when we get into the the New Testament. It's just let God say what he has said and let him mean what he means. Well, Josiah, let's talk specifically about this covenant. What was the covenant we talked about this week? Just get our minds back in the same place. Where is it found in scripture? And what were some of the kind of the bigger points about this covenant? We looked this week, the fifth of five, sorry, the fifth of six biblical covenants, Uh, at the Davidic covenant, so the covenant that God cut with David, the king of Israel. And we find it first mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 7, although the word covenant is not used in that text. It's God speaking with David and promising him this eternal kingdom coming from his descendant, 
from David's throne, uh, very, very specific. And you go elsewhere, though, in the Old Testament and in the New as well, it's often called a covenant. Psalm 89, for example, calls it a covenant he makes with David. In fact, David himself calls it a covenant later on at the end of his own life, at the end of 2 Samuel. And so we know it's a covenant from elsewhere in Scripture. But the content is, again, very simple. It is just this everlasting throne over an everlasting kingdom for David's descendant. Hmm. Now, one thing I really appreciated on Sunday that you did was in your introduction to the sermon, I thought you really gave this good explanation of why this covenant is important, even though we hadn't even talked about the covenant yet. Mm. So you kind of talked a little bit about what our world looks like now and why we need this covenant. Can we just, I know this, Mm, honestly, I'm going to say it now. I struggled with questions on this podcast (laughs) because I thought it was explained so well. Today's going to be a lot of rehashing, but I think it's important to, again, keep our minds in the right place. Why does this covenant matter to us? What is going on in our world that that this idea of an everlasting kingdom is important? As you're asking me, I'm trying to remember even what I said on Sunday. But when I think how I introduced it, correct me if I'm wrong, because you seem to remember better than me, was that this world is sinful. And even I use statistics, even just from our country, which Mm -hmm. is not the most notorious country there is. And so if these things are true of Canada, then they're certainly true of other countries. But we live in a broken world with a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, and a lot of inconvenience, and a lot of sin. And what we need is an authority that is powerful enough, really limitless in its reach and in its power to deal with all of this with some finitude, mm-hmm. to, 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 to deal with it with in its totality. That's what we need. But as we know, something so powerful, if it's not equally good, that's very concerning, right? You have this all-powerful entity that is not good, not benevolent, that's scary. And then on the other hand, if you have something that's perfectly good but doesn't have the power, then that's kind of impotent. It doesn't really do anything, right? And so we need both to deal with the problem that we have in this world. And that kind of leads us to the hope we have in the Davidic covenant that there will come such an authority, such a leader, such a government that will have boundless jurisdiction, as I said on Sunday, its scope will have no borders, and his purity, his goodness, his holiness will also have no borders. So in the Son of David, capital S, capital D, the Son of David, Jesus Christ, we have both things eventually when he sits on that throne. And so he actually is the answer to our problem. He is the remedy to the disease that we have. Yeah, it's exactly what I was was looking for. Yeah, (laughs) just this idea that I think it's an important reminder. You know, in the church, we often say, you know, when you're explaining the gospel to someone or explaining why people need Jesus, we need to start with the problem of sin. And we need to be convinced as humans that we are sinful before we ever see a need for a savior. And I think this kind of applies here as well. It's we need to be reminded that we do need a authority figure. You know, sometimes we're trained to think we don't need authority. And yet none of us would actually believe that in practice. You look around and say, man, I'm glad that there are authority figures because of crime statistics that, you know, how much worse would it be if we didn't have authority? Oh, for sure. They are hemming in as best they can. They just have limits. Exactly. Every authority has limits. And as you limits. said, with good reason, because yeah. limitless power corrupts limitlessly. Yeah. Uh, I know it's not the exact quote, yeah. but this idea of if you have too much power and you're a corruptible person, which we all are, except for Christ himself, then that is terrifying mm-hmm. to have someone just having this you know, iron fist to be able to do whatever they want. And so we need someone who has full authority and yet full perfection, full goodness. And one of the beautiful things about the Davidic covenant is that it scratches an itch even for someone who struggles with the doctrine of original sin. And by that, I mean, you know, we believe that the Bible teaches that we are corrupt, that we are depraved in and of ourselves. 
Now, even someone that has drunken deeply from the world's well and rejects the idea of original sin, that we're not that bad, uh, that we are actually good, they are more humanitarian in their outlook, perhaps, even someone like that still has to look around this world and say that there's something wrong, say that there's something broken, there's something evil in the world. It might not be in me, but it's out there and it's coming for us. So even someone like that can look at the Davidic covenant with this promise of a coming goodness and a coming everlasting righteous reign and so long for that. We can get to original sin later, and we will, especially with the New Covenant and the Mosaic Covenant and how they go together. But the Davidic Covenant is beyond even that. It does touch our original sin also, for sure. But it, it's even bigger than that. It's the mm-hmm. whole world and the corruption that's out there. Yeah, I like that. Well, the word kingdom obviously comes up a lot in Christianity. But as you alluded to on Sunday, sometimes we can misuse or misunderstand that concept. And I really want to, I get, I guess, get to the question of what exactly is the Davidic covenant promising in terms of a kingdom? Yeah, and I think I mentioned briefly on Sunday that we, I think some of the confusion with kingdom comes down because we misunderstand that there are two ways that the Bible uses kingdom. I thought you did a really good job of explaining it. I have never heard so clearly that explained as much as you did on Sunday. Good, so I think that we need to understand that we all acknowledge, and every Christian of every stripe acknowledges that God is on his throne. In the universal kingdom. God sits on his throne and laughs at these other kings as they conspire against him. He is on his throne. He does whatever he wills, as the psalmist says. Uh, He is, we would call this his universal reign. He is king and he will always be king. He always has been king. He's king. Nothing will ever change that. Nothing will ever change that, including Satan, including sin, including our rebellion. He's king. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about the Davidic kingdom. We're talking about what is oftentimes referred to as the mediatorial kingdom, a kingdom God's eternal reign that he ushers in and through mediators, people he places, or vice regents that he places on earth to rule in his stead. So he's reigning universally, but he appoints people to rule in his stead. So Adam and Eve, that he gave them the world and said, have dominion. It's yours. In fact, he put them as his image bearers, like a king would put statues around his land to communicate his reign. He said, Adam and Eve, you are my, rule this world, this creation in my stead. You are my mediators, my mediatorial rule. Well, they blew it. But that plan has not been abandoned. So he is looking to put a mediator on a throne on earth to rule in his stead. Well, what better person than God himself ruling on earth from Israel's throne through the world? And so there in the the kingdom to come, we have both joining, basically. We have the universal reign perfectly and eternally expressed through the mediatorial reign in Jesus Christ, the son of David. So I think where the confusion comes in, to reel it back in, is that we sometimes talk about the kingdom when we're referring to kind of the Davidic kingdom, the earthly reign, but we're talking about God's universal reign right now, but we're using Davidic kingdom language and Mm -hmm. and vice versa. And so it kind of confuses the issue. Now, maybe I've confused it with that explanation, (laughs) but, but I think we just need to keep those distinct. Yeah. Honestly, it's one of those things that I always thought that Lewis did really well in the Chronicles of Narnia is this idea of, you know, to put it in a kid's book style, we have Aslan who is the king truly. And yet there's also these human Kings Mm. in, in the kids that come in and become the Kings and Queens. Right. It's obviously not perfect one-to-one, but I mean, clearly that was part of his intention. There is this universal King that is perfect and good. And yet he appoints these, other people in his stead to, to rule the land. For sure. And remember when Israel came out of the wilderness and they look around these other nations and they say, we want a king like these nations. And God says, I want to be your king. They said, well, we want a, an earthly king as well. And so he gives them an earthly king. First Saul, and that doesn't go so well. But eventually David comes along, right? And David is 
the representative of God on earth over God's people. The problem is he's not perfect. And so he has limits to his authority. Sure. Right? Even though he's speaking for God, he has limits even just in his lifespan. He's going to die. And so we need a better king than that. And that's where Jesus comes in. And he has this limitless jurisdiction, this boundless jurisdiction, as I said on Sunday. Hmm. Well, thinking then about this application or this future kingdom that is coming, is it fair to say that while Christ's death and resurrection provided the solution to sin, this coming kingdom and the jurisdiction it provides will be where we truly get to experience the full result of that, right? It's this society free from sin and suffering, all under the authority of the great King Jesus himself. Yeah, certainly a step in that direction. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, we talk about the cross and we say that we at the cross, when we trust in Jesus, we have dealt with the penalty of sin. Mm -hmm. And in our life, as we submit to Christ and we're filled with his spirit, we're dealing with the power of sin. It's losing its power in our life. But there's coming a day when we will be free from the very presence of sin. Yeah. Now, the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, what we teach at the church, that is definitely the kickoff party sure. to the true thing. Eternal state is when sin will be completely eradicated. Yes. But certainly with Jesus on his throne for a thousand years, there will be, I mean, he is reigning with righteousness and that will be a step toward what you're saying here mm-hmm. as well. There will be a rebellion in the kingdom, not to get yes. in too much into the weeds, but... Uh, well, I heard revelation is coming at some point in the future. Uh, yes, yeah, you're, you may it's be right. It's now official. <laughs> it's now official. <laughs> uh, but, but that's say, so we are moving from the, the power and the penalty toward the very presence of sin being gone. So yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. The kingdom, when he re- comes and sets up his kingdom, that will be such a, a liberating joy for those who belong to Christ. And I think that's why I wanted to bring it up. It's just, I think it's so important that we just acknowledge that, to have that moment of just saying, you know, we can take this, like you said, kind of ethereal idea, oh, kingdom or Davidic covenant, like, it, but make it really practical and saying, this is something we are actively looking forward to. You know, when we say even come, Lord Jesus, come, this world is broken. Mm-hmm. This is what we're waiting for. We are waiting for our king to come in the same way that, you know, to put it back, like the cre- the creation of Narnia was waiting for their kings and queens mm-hmm. to come, right? Yeah. We are waiting for that day when, you know, as all of Israel was in, in the gospels, they're waiting for this, this, this conquering righteous king to come and, and release them from the oppression. Yeah. And I mean, we're waiting for that same thing now. Totally. We want to avoid the danger of sometimes we become functional Gnostics or functional dualists. By that, I mean that, you know, the dualists were, were people in the Gnostics or people that thought that anything physical was sinful. Anything spiritual was of a higher plane, a higher worth. Sure. And so the best thing to do is to relinquish yourself from the physical and they would do that by beating themselves or depriving themselves, hating the body basically because spiritual is better. And when we die, we're finally released from the physical. Well, if you look at the covenants and the storyline of scripture, that is not how God sees things. The physical is not evil. It has been corrupted and cursed, but it will not always be so. And when we think too much in this dualistic way, we think, oh God, take me home so I can be released from this physical prison. But no, no, no. The kingdom is actually a physical place on this earth. And so there's very much a physical component to the end of all things. And I know people know that, but sometimes we we get caught into this idea, this dualistic idea of release us from this. And we think kingdom in heaven, we go to the kingdom. So the kingdom of heaven, like in Matthew, well, that's got to be in heaven, disembodied, right? Wherever God is kind of thing. No, no, no. The kingdom of heaven is here on earth, physical, you know, where we Christ will reign physically from an actual physical chair in actual physical Israel over the actual physical world. And so we just want to remember that matter is not evil. It will be redeemed in this great 
restoration project that God is bringing to pass. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it if it was evil, then God created something evil. Yeah, and, and Christ, remember, he, he, according to Colossians, created all things and sustains all things. He entered into his creation to die in his creation, was resurrected in this creation, and will come back to reign over this creation. Some pretty, pretty dangerous physical. implications if all matter is evil. Exactly, yes. <laughs> well, we ended on Sunday hearing about what this covenant can and ought to inspire us to do here and now, which we were just talking about a little bit, but specifically we talked about the idea of we watch, we wait, mm-hmm. and we witness. Decide what are we watching for? What are we waiting for? And how do we witness? Oh, I'm sure there's many ways we could talk about this. And for a you long did time. talk about it on Sunday. And again, like I said, yeah. we're rehashing a bit here, but again, taking it practically. Yeah. I guess when I was studying last week, because of the political tension of the last few years, this was on my mind. This idea of when we talk about a coming perfect government, one that is finally going to have an authority that can reach out and, and stomp out the evil with the benevolence necessary, this kind of government, why would I trust in earthly governments? They're a gift from the Lord. They hem in evil to the extent that they can, but they are not my ultimate trust. And yet we see every election cycle all over the place, people, which is expected, were made to worship. And if they don't worship God, they're going to worship something. Sure. And government can fill that vacuum. But it's sad when Christians get sucked into trusting in horses and chariots, as we're told not to, trusting in government, rather than looking to this perfect government to come. And I, I buffered that by saying there's nothing wrong with being interested in government or sure. participating in government, but it should never be our Messiah. Yeah. And just so to, when I said watch, I meant just watch our hearts. Watch our hearts. If we're going to be involved in government, that's fine. But always keep an eye out to the government to come. We want to be cautious we're not idolizing people or putting too much yeah. on their shoulders that they were never meant to bear either. That somehow if we elect the right prime minister, that's going to save our world or our mm-hmm. country or yeah. something. Or or on the flip side, that if we quote unquote make the wrong choice, that that is what's going to bring about the destruction of mankind. Right. Or, well, that is up to God. <laughs> like when these things happen, that is up to yeah. God. And so, yeah, well, I think it's very important that we are, have, as you said, like have an interest or getting involved in or, or whatever, care about what we've been given. I think it's this idea of, I don't know, I can't say it better than you, this messiah complex mm-hmm. that somehow we're looking to a fallible human mm-hmm. to do. I mean, we're doing the same thing as Israel then, right? We want a king. Totally. <laughs> I think, I hope I'm not alone in this, but I have been in the presence of some believers who, in talking about politics, get more excited than I've ever heard them get excited about the gospel itself. Or riled up. Or riled up you know, more than they are about sin, yep. you know, and I just am aware of those times like, oh boy, I hope I don't do that very often. I, I know it's in my heart. I can do that as well, but it should just be a, a yellow flag for us. You know, keep in perspective the governments of this age be, in light of the government that has been promised, the government that is going to come, that's actually going to fix mm-hmm. everything that we need fixing. Which is then what we're waiting for, of course. Yes, I that's mean, right. that's probably the easiest one to answer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we watch and then we're waiting. We're waiting for this kingdom to come. We pray, bring your kingdom. Lord, uh, we need it. We ache for it. Fix this world. Uh, I imagine what that will be like to serve and to live under the reign of a perfect monarch. You know, I, I look forward to it. So we wait for that. And yet you emphasize too, like we are not waiting passively though. We are still no. active while we wait. You know, we are praying for the government yes. that is here now. And we are, you know, pray that the, Jesus's new government will come. But yet in the meantime, we we are involved in, in growing and yeah. being sanctified and in praying for our earthly leaders and, and moving yeah. forward. If the Lord is staying away, if if he is not, if, if his timing is not that Jesus comes today, that's, I trust that that's for a reason. Mm-hmm. Because we have stuff to do. Yeah. We need to be busy. We want to be busy. Not because we are ushering in the kingdom or we have to do things 
that will pave the, the way for Jesus kind of to come. Yeah. You know, he's waiting for us to do something. No, no, no. Because we, going to the last um, activity, we have people to witness to. We have an opportunity. Yes. Yeah. While he stays away, this is more opportunity for people to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ and the coming King. And so we're motivated by the any moment return of Jesus. We watch ourselves. We wait for his return, knowing that it's coming soon. But we witness. We get busy witnessing. And we don't want to ever be distracted from the call that we've been given to do by other good activities, but it's not the best activity. We need to be witnessing for the coming King. Hmm. Well, Josiah, thank you for leading us through another excellent discussion on this covenant. And we got the new covenant next week, which hopefully we're all a little more familiar with. Yeah, hopefully. And we'll tie a bow on this thing. Yeah. It, well, it's been great, Josiah. So uh, thank you for this time. And listener, until next week, go with grace and peace. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.